still no no one cares that weird things are happening in Hogwarts. Right. The government could just be like, hey, I told you to keep it hush-hush. You didn't keep it hush-hush. Keep it hush-hush this time, okay? Yeah. Hello and welcome to our Stranger Things podcast brought to you by the Aficionados Podcast Network. My name is Robin Jeffrey. I'm a 25-year-old actor and drama instructor. I like brooding anti-heroes, feminist agendas, and I have way too much knowledge regarding details that no one else remembers. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey pretty much everywhere. And our fun fact for this episode is what weapon you would bring to defeat some demodogs. And um, I'm not really one for weapons, so I would probably bring someone who is braver than I to bring their own weapon. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So basically me and Sam. Yeah, just yeah. to have somebody else do it. <laughs> I, I would be, I would run away. I That's fair. You. Simply a coward, that's all. Okay. <laughs> At least when it comes to monsters. I mean, you did say when you, if you were chosen for the Hunger Games, you'd blow yourself up on the platform. Yeah. So, like, this, this fits. Yeah. 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 I'm just, like, not into, like, gore. So, like, if I had to kill something, I'd be like, mm, like, I'd rather just die so that I don't have to watch a bunch of other people die. Like, mm, you know, I'm just, like, not into it. Interesting. But you did also say that if you ever experienced the apocalypse, you would want to just die. And we're in the middle of the apocalypse, and so far you're doing well. Yeah, I, like, mostly meant, like, something that you, like, can't really live through, you know? Like, a zombie apocalypse? Like, I'll just be a zombie. Okay. Like, I'd rather just, like, Can not I keep be you around. as a pet? Sure, because I won't be there. Yeah. My brain is off. I'll use so. you to keep other zombies away. Okay. Thanks, man. Whatever. And my name is Brittany Ray. I'm a 30-year-old artist and journalist from beautiful post-apocalyptic Vancouver, BC. I like badass moms and long naps. I'm on Twitter at Britannia, where I can be found attempting to be interesting and talking about my cat. And the weapon I would take is definitely what Steve used at the end of last season, so a baseball bat just loaded with nails. I think that's... I feel like that's the most effective, right? Sure. Because, like, a sword is kind of wieldy, but a baseball bat, like, at any angle, mm-hmm. you're going to hit it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And my name is Samantha Coley. I'm a 27-year-old marketing coordinator and television critic. I'm a senior writer and a social media specialist at Telltale TV. I like over 40s OTPs and making playlists. I'm on Twitter at Sam Casey's, where you can find me yelling about television and fangirling middle-aged actresses. I would bring an axe. Oh, that's a good one. Uh... Just because I feel like I could just really just... I could wield that a lot more um, effectively than I feel I could wield a sword. Sword takes, like, a lot more... And an axe is Delicate, delicate yeah. um, coordination. Mm-hmm. But an axe I can just, like, really slice into a demodog with. And I would also have on me my, like, big pocket knife. So just in case I somehow lose the axe, I can just whip that out and, like, start stabbing just in case this is I get, like defeated with yeah, my axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was galaxy brain thinking, in my opinion. Thank you. Also, I would like to point out that her knife is gold, and it's bitchin'. It is. Today we have words to say about episode 206 of Stranger Things, The Spy. This episode will contain spoilers for the entirety of seasons 1, 2, and 3 of Stranger Things. For, so, for the title, um, is Will the Spy for the Mind Flayer, or is the Mind Flayer a spy within Will? I think both can be yes. true. Yeah, I also think both. Um, That's a double entendre. Yes, and a fun fact about this episode is that it's the only episode of the series so far in which Eleven does not make an appearance. That's so weird. Mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't really notice. <laughs> like, no, I love Eleven. No, I'm with you. It was, it was such a compelling, like, episode that you don't notice. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she's been alone, right? We talk about this every episode. She's yeah. been alone. She's completely isolated. And so you don't even notice. You're right. You that was the biggest. The reason that you don't notice in a way that it's not like the episode is lacking something is because they still reference Eleven because Hopper has like True. a whole conversation, a whole one-sided conversation yeah. with her essentially. So like she's still a part of the episode present. Mm-hmm. and present, but she's not there mm-hmm. physically. Right. And like 
the fact that she's not there is an important plot point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had one thing from Thoughts from Listeners. Um, Twitter user at Desgoffs um, tweeted us saying that um, they were making their way through our Stranger Things podcasts and wanted Hi. to let us... Yes, hello! And we want, wanted to let us know that there's a box in Hopper's cabin that says New York. So he's probably oh. been... He's probably was a cop there and not Chicago. Even okay. though we have been basing... We've been assuming <laughs> it's Chicago this whole We've time. We've been basing the fact that Hopper was a cop in Chicago this entire time. It's been really important to all of our conversations. So now it's New York. Now it's New York. You know what? That's fine. Does it change a lot of the conversation? Probably not. No. Yeah. It just means he was probably involved in, like, more of, like, the really brutal era of the New York in, like, the 80s, 70s mm. and 80s. That makes sense for him. Yep. Um, cool. So we're going to go ahead and get started in the episode. Uh, we split it up into three storylines. Jancy, the Babysitter's Club, and um, Jopper slash Byler, or the lab. So we're going to start with Jancy because it's really small and um, it's our least favorite one. Yeah. So I, I'm sorry. Nancy's great. <laughs> yeah! That's that's a nice thing to have to say. Nancy, Jonathan, and Murray have a celebratory drink. He convinces them to stay over and then creepily gets over-invested in their relationship. He decides to psychoanalyze them and I'm like, bro, they're like 17? He wants them to share a bed? Bro? Anyway, they have some tension in their jammies and it's romantic kinda, but I also kinda hate it. They say goodnight and then they actually don't go to bed but instead have like this really big damn kiss and it's like kinda cute, okay? The next morning, Murray makes them breakfast and then awkwardly asks sexual questions to teenagers. Nancy calls her mom and lies her butt off. Jonathan can't reach his family, but I'm sure everything's fine. Murray gives them a bottle of vodka as a parting gift and again, they're teenagers and tells them never to contact him again. Thankfully, they don't. (laughs) They try not to. Yeah. They get home to Jonathan's and see the drawings all over the house. Jonathan puts two and two together and realizes someone has been in their house. That's it. That's it. That's the whole storyline. And most of it is just Murray being a huge creep. It is quite brief. Like, the pull-out joke alone, I was like, they're like children. Here's the thing, though. Watching it this time, like, my main thing, like, when they started, like, doing that, I was like, Murray is upstairs, and he, like, like, who knows who Murray is? He could be listening for that specifically, you know? And, but, but watching it this time, I was like, maybe he doesn't, like, know. Like, maybe he, like, assumes something happened, but maybe he doesn't know, because he goes, how was the pull-out? He's talking about the the couch. Right. He is talking about the couch. Yeah. And then when Jonathan's like, that's when he's that's like, when he's like, oh. All right, fair enough. So if I can give him the, uh, what's it called? A small benefit of the benefit doubt. Of the, the benefit of the doubt. I want to say that he was not as creepy as he, like, it's, it's very creepy what he's saying to them and everything. Sure. But I think that after it all happens, like, in the breakfast scene, which is, like, one of my least favorite scenes of the entire show, probably, mm-hmm. that maybe it's, he's not being as creepy as he could be That's at the true. beginning. Does he get worse as it goes on? Of course. But... Right. It could be worse. There's also, like, he very clearly knew that they slept in the same bed because he came downstairs to make breakfast and they were ob- he was obviously not on the pullout. Unless they were, like, already up and getting ready by the time he went down. Pop- that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So they're all making copies of the tape and they're sending them to the newspapers and everything. Um, as far as I remember, do you guys- does Dr. Owens, like, get- in trouble? No, I don't, doesn't he die? No. He doesn't get in trouble either, I don't believe, because he still has his job in season three. Yeah. Because he's the one on the tape, you know? Yeah. 
like would would whoever he's not whoever he's working for like is I, he the boss like I think he's powerful enough that he doesn't get in trouble and like people under him get in trouble for not like searching them well enough or right. something like that or it could be that like not enough people like believed this whole like expose that the government was just kind of like that's paranoid conspiracy theories and everyone else was like oh, okay I mean like, they brought in the whole military they yeah did, for they sure did. but like not a lot comes of it exactly right. that's true like, like there's not a lot of consequences. Yeah, by season three, like, no one, still no no one cares that weird things are happening in Hawkins. Right. The government could just be like, hey, I told you to keep it hush-hush. You didn't keep it hush-hush. Keep it hush-hush this time, okay? Yeah. And it could be that, like, he's pretty indispensable as a scientist. So, like, he can probably make a lot of mistakes and they'll be like, well, we can't replace him. Oh, right, sure. Yeah, he's, he's like, a specialist about this specific Precisely. thing. Precisely. Yeah. Exactly. So... They're like, okay, well, we should probably go. And he's like, oh, it's really late. Like, you can just stay here. And I think that it starts as, like, uh, you guys can just stay here. Like, it's totally fine mm-hmm. type of thing. And then it's kind of weird. And But Murray does assume that they'll share a bed, which happened at the, um, at the hotel as well, kind of. Yes. Right. And, yeah, Murray does the exact same thing next season. And it isn't weird because he's talking to... Two adults. Right. He's talking to his peers, yeah. not teenagers. Yeah. And also just, I ship that so much more, mm. you know? And he's like, you guys are both young and attractive. Are we talking to both of them? Are we talking to- Oh my god! Who we're talking to? I mean, you could be objective and say, like, two people are attractive even if you aren't attracted to one or the other. That's true, but I'm also like, why, why are, are you talking- to call Jonathan ugly? I'm- his hair is bad. <laughs> the actor himself is actually really handsome. He's a really good looking guy. It's the way they make him look at this show. Yes. Like, they make him look like he hasn't showered in days. Yeah. And it definitely gets better in season three, but, like, especially in season two, I'm like, your hair is so greasy, bro. And also, it's like, Murray himself is saying they are attractive, and, like, yeah, that's uncomfortable. Ugh. It just- the, the Murray thing didn't work- this season, it worked way better with Joyce and Hopper next season. I feel like everybody tweeted, I wish this had, he had, he should just say this to, to Joyce and Hopper because mm-hmm. he says like the whole thing with like, what is it, chemistry, history, and shared trauma. And they're like, well, that's uh, just about Hopper and Joyce. And they're like, oh, oh, let's just do that sure. again. Well, dang, Actually, that's right. right. That's the same plot line twice, but no one minds because Jopper is God tier, you know? Exactly. Murray seems to be, like, actually a pretty good private investigator because even though he couldn't do it by himself, like, you know, there was there was a lot of cover-ups going on and he mm-hmm. did, like, a pretty good job without, like, Nancy and Jonathan. He just, like, didn't have all the answers because how right. could he possibly have had all the answers? Because there was a cover-up. He got really close. Yeah, and so he can, like, totally, he, like, can read people so he can tell that Jonathan has daddy issues by just, like, talking to him and looking at him. I mean, like, mm-hmm. who else? Like, who doesn't at yeah. this point? Except for maybe... I think Robin's the only person I've ever met who doesn't have daddy issues. <laughs> yeah, I don't... Yeah, I know. I don't have an issue. And he knows when he's just like, who... Uh, he's like, the boyfriend whose name is... And he's like, Steve. And I always thought that Murray just didn't know who Steve was. But then last episode, he, like, said the Harrington boy. So he knows who Steve is. Yeah, right. that's why he's like, Steve! And yeah. it's like, yeah. Oh, he's like, all oh, right, God, that's... Yes. Gotcha. That handsome idiot. And he says, we like Steve, but we don't love Steve. Uh, that is not correct. Because we do love Steve. <laughs> yeah, I love Steve. But Nancy even like wouldn't say it to his face. Oh yeah. Earlier this episode or the earlier this season. Mm-hmm. That so was then, a teenager, but it just turned out I was gay. So then he tells them That's to funny. just share the bed, which is just a fun fanfic trope. It very much it is. is such a good fanfic trope. It just doesn't work. I mean, uh, listen, if you ship. Nancy and Jonathan, it probably works perfectly for you. Mm -hmm. It's just that um, I don't, so it's gross. But I support you if you do. (laughs) 
I think that if Nancy and Jonathan is your thing, this works very well. Mm-hmm. And watching it, it's like very romantic. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like uh, you know, they're like uh, opening their eyes finally to something that has like always been there and and all of that and everything. And you know, Nancy waited for him, and then I mean, obviously we talked about this earlier, but like you know, he like only a month. <laughs> and then it's like, what, what What took you so long, buddy? So, you know, it's very, it's great for them. I'm happy for them. It's like, sir, why did you need longer than a month? I think like it can be summed up in, I don't like the ship, but I'm so happy for the shippers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's weird to talk to teens like this though. <sighs> for sure. I would never talk to teens like this. It's disgusting. Yeah. And um, basically they like go to their separate rooms and they're just like, hmm, harumph. Why did this guy see me so clearly? And then they leave and they're like, ha, that was so stupid, right? And they're like, yeah, that totally is stupid. It's <laughs> a weird night. <laughs> but it's night. Nice. But then they like walk away and they immediately come back because they like regret what happened or whatever. It's cute. And I was like, ew, Murray's upstairs. But then we talked about that. Um, there was a fun fact from IMDb that said, this series is well known to draw influence from Stephen King's books and movies. The song playing over breakfast with Nancy, Jonathan, and Murray is Blue Bayou by Roy Orbison. This song heavily features in the book and movie Dreamcatcher by Stephen King, a story about a group of kids who make friends with a supernatural psychic boy who helps them fight aliens and work against a government agency trying to keep it under wraps. Wow. Wait, hang on. Is Stranger Things literally just a Stephen King book? I think that Stranger Things is just many Stephen King books put together. It's many Stephen King books and every 80s reference you could think of. Yeah. Which is why it works so well, right? Which is why we love it. Nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's why we love it. So it's very nice of Murray to make them breakfast. He doesn't like strike me as the nicest person, but it's true. He does make them breakfast, which is nice. And you know what? They kind of deserve it because they did kind of help him keep his job. Mm, Yes. You know? He probably appreciates them a lot. Then they make the pull-out joke and, you know, we talked about this already that maybe he hadn't known until he had made... I think he was just trying to make, like, a joke like, haha, you guys shared a bed. If he knows. Yeah. Um, But even after that, then when he gets really, really creepy and weird about it, sir, these are teens! Yeah. So Nancy calls Karen and says that she'll be home for dinner. Um, and no one's answering at Jonathan's house. And they think he thinks they're probably just at the movies because he hasn't been home for any of this. Nope. <laughs> None of it. Which I think is so funny. They're like probably at a matinee. I'm like, the odds of that aren't high, bud. Yeah. But it's interesting because Dustin also couldn't get a hold of them at their house. His parents are like, yeah. his parents don't really care about him, right? Like from what we know. Jo- Jonathan or? Who oh, wait. <laughs> I was thinking of Steve. Oh. Oh my god. My bad. I would um, definitely say- You're right. Steve's parents don't care about him. Right. Steve's parents don't care about him, and I would say that even though it's very clear that Joyce cares so much about Jonathan, she does leave him well, to yeah. his own devices quite well, a bit more- she has a needier child. And he's grown. Yeah. Like, he should be able to, you know- Oh, handle himself most of the time. In season one, he had a job, and then he has a car, so- Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, they're not in a movie, bud. Yeah. So he gives them vodka as a present. Sir! These are teens! (laughs) And he's like, okay, leave me alone forever. Bye. And they're like, okay, bye. So then Nancy and Jonathan get home uh, to Jonathan's house and Jonathan knows that someone else was taking pictures because they had, there was a picture from a camera that he does not use. Hmm. Um, and, okay, here's a question. Um, what could they infer from just walking in there with no other information? Like, walking in there, no other information, you walk in and you're like, um, like, what do you think is the first thing that they're thinking? Jonathan's like, my house has been trashed again. I hope I don't have to help Jonathan, I mean, I feel like Jonathan is thinking something went wrong with Will. Yeah. And the lab has been here. Right. Yeah. Because, like, he has all those puzzle pieces. Yes. 
I think you immediately walk in and you're like, okay, Will. And then you start thinking, okay, like, there's a lot of supernatural stuff going on. Because, like, like, they go straight to the lab, don't they? Or that this is a really weird art exhibition. Yeah, like, it's in the, it's in the two episodes from now, but I'm pretty sure they just show up at the lab is the next time we see them. I think so. Um, and also, Nancy, you told your mom you'd be home for supper. So you lied. (laughs) I am so glad that, I mean, Bob mentions it throughout the season about like potentially moving away from Hawkins, but I'm glad that at the end of season three, they finally do because I feel like that house is so full of trauma at this point. Yeah. But you just have, you can't stay there. You can't stay there. There's, it's, plus like they deserve a nicer house. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And that house has been trashed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it makes complete sense to me why not only after this season and then after what happens to Joyce next season, it, it makes complete sense that she would want to leave. Mm-hmm. The sad part is that men that she loves keep asking her to leave with them and then they keep dying. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's the Jancy storyline. Schmall. 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 Compact. So until we move, before we move on to the Babysitter's Club, I've got a segment that I like to call, uh, actually? (laughs) So, uh, actually, Jonathan picks up an empty Polaroid cartridge on which the world's impossible impulse battery are just about visible. The Impossible Project, renamed Polaroid Originals in 2017, was founded in 2008 to continue supplying film for Polaroid cameras 24 years after the year this takes place. So, hmm. Okay. That one is a little That's more... That's kind of fair. Yeah. Uh, actually, the soldiers in the tunnel appear to be carrying contemporary M4 carbines, which were not introduced until 1994. That's nitpicky. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, the package with the cassette tape that is being mailed to the Chicago Sun-Times has a 20-cent stamp on it. In 1984, that would only be enough postage for a one-ounce letter-sized envelope. The package is oversized and more than one ounce. It is insufficient postage and will be returned to sender. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's excessive. <laughs> but I'm but I also like I know that that's not canon because obviously it gets to all the newspapers. Mm-hmm. I just think that would be so funny if Murray just literally just back. put one small stamp on it and was like, "Good luck, buddy." And then he just kept getting them all back. Right. I think that would be funny. Good luck out there. Uh actually, it's not possible to see in the dark with binoculars such as those that Lucas is using. Wait, really? You can't use binoculars in the dark. Oh, yeah, no shit. Okay. I mean, they would still work. It would just be Dark. dark. Yeah, you wouldn't be able wouldn't, to see like, anything. It wouldn't be like night vision or anything. No. Yeah. But like, so I'm not sure how Lucas used it. I feel like Fun it's fact, th- night vision was invented in Canada. Oh. Cool. That's all I have for you. Uh, actually, when Nancy and Jonathan visit Murray's bunker, they pass by an American flag displaying, displayed hanging vertically. However, it is hanging wrong. When displayed horizontally or vertically against the wall, the union should be the uppermost and to the flag's own right. That is, to the observer's left. The flag should be hung with the stars always on the left, whether horizontal or vertical, when you're viewing it. Who cares? Who <laughs> <laughs> put it the wrong way? It's upside down. But Murray doesn't know things, so I'll let no. it slide. Yeah. It's probably, if it's at Murray's, it's probably intentionally upside down. Wait, it says they pass by an American flag. So oh. maybe someone else just fucked up. Sure. Who's to say? If someone put a Canadian flag upside down, I'd be like, ha! And then just continue on my way and not be offended by it. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to move on to the Babysitter's Club, which I did um, the uh, summary for. So here we go. Dustin and Steve awkwardly drive together. They, they discuss Dart and what the plan is. They get to Dustin's house and Steve can't hear anything inside the cellar, so he goes in. They discover that Dart has disappeared, dug his way out, and is on the run again. Lucas finds Erica in her room playing with his action figure. She tells him to tell Dustin to stop yelling code red all the time. Lucas runs to call Dustin, who already has bait for Dart and is setting up with Steve. Lucas bikes to Max's house. Billy's working out, so tells Max to answer the door. 
She does and tells Lucas to get the heck out of here or Billy will kill him. She lies to Billy about who it was and sneaks out the window of her room. Steve and Dustin walk the train tracks, throwing meat down to attract Dart. They discuss Max and Nancy and women in general and they're not doing the best job, but they're trying. Steve also confesses that he uses Farrah Fawcett hairspray every morning. The bonding content is top-notch. Dustin and Steve finally get to the junkyard and start setting up to capture Dart. Lucas and Max show up and Dustin calls Lucas out for not answering and for telling Max. They run gasoline to the bus so they can light up the monsters from their hiding position. Once night falls, they're all just waiting and watching. Max asks Steve about the last time he fought a Demogorgon and Dustin is really weird and rude to Max. Max goes up to the top of the bus where Lucas is and they talk about Max's life and how they enjoy spending time together. They hear the monster and everyone's on guard. Steve heads out there with his bat to get it, but then they notice that there's more than one and Steve is surrounded. All the kids are watching with bated breath. Steve runs back into the bus and the monsters try to get in. Steve tries to protect the kids. Before they can attack, all the monsters are called away. They're headed somewhere. <gasps> dun dun dun. So originally Steve thinks that D Dart could literally just be a lizard until he hears about Muse. Right. And it's like, mm, mm, doesn't okay. seem like something a lizard could do. I don't do. think you are a normal lizard at any rate. Yeah. Uh, I really love a trunk shot, a shot where uh, it's inside the trunk and then they, then they open the trunk and then they get the thing and then they close the trunk and the camera's in the trunk. It's so, I love, I'm a sucker for shots like that mm -hmm. every time. So he can't hear anything in the cellar and he genuinely thinks that Dustin is like pranking him. Right. He's like, seriously, like, he's, he's, been, I, he's like, I've been through a lot recently. It's like, this isn't a good joke. And guy. now you're wasting my time. Right. And I'm already sad. <laughs> so Dart has molted again. And so therefore he's even larger than he was um, when he got put in the cellar. And he's dug his way out of a cellar. That's like full on cement, that's, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So I think it's safe to say that's not a normal lizard at that point. I think it's ridiculous that Dart was like, I think it's easier for me to dig through cement than <laughs> get through these metal doors. Right? Yeah. Like Dustin left. You know, he could just, there could just be a hole in the doors. But. Right. He's just like, mm, no, cement. So Erica is playing with Lucas's action figure and it parallels Jancy because that's when they're like making out and then they cut straight to Erica making He-Man and Barbie make out. It's hilarious. I love it. Um, on IMDb, it said the Barbie doll that Erica is seen playing with is Day Tonight Barbie, which was released in 1984. So very new. Ooh. Brand Honestly, happy for her. Yeah. Lucas learns that Dustin has been code redding and um, the only reason that she went into his room was to turn off the walkie. And you know what? If she's able to also grab his action figure while she's in there, then you know what? That's just two birds, one stone. Yep. I respect her. Available now on iTunes. Correct. And Spotify. Oh, good point. So Dustin's like, yeah, I'm hanging out with Steve. And Lucas is like, Steve? And you know what? That's every single time Steve does anything. Yep. And be like, what? That idiot? Steve's like, always a tone of surprise. Oh. <laughs> All right. Now we'll get into the nitty gritty stuff. Okay. Why does Steve help Dustin? Boredom. He's got oh. nothing better to do. I was going to say likes to feel needed. Oh! <laughs> also probably true. Honestly, my joke answer was boredom. My actual mm -hmm. answer was he cares. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He wants to help people. Mm -hmm. And Dustin is a child. And like, he's already been like bummed out by like the situation with Nancy. So he's like, okay, maybe I can like fill some fulfillment here. Right. So then we move on to Billy and Max. Um, Billy, you could have gotten the door. Like if Max was closer to the door, I'd be like, okay. But she's significantly farther away from the door than him. He's just a jerk. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't want to interrupt my sets. And it's like, dude, you suck. He truly sucks. So Lucas is there and he wants to include Max again. He wants to prove to her that, first of all, he wasn't lying and also that he's not trying to prank her. Like, he really wants to include her and bring her into the group. Yeah, sure. he's definitely not joking. Mm -hmm. And Max says that there are there were Mormons outside and they were talkative. Mm-hmm. Sure. I believe her. Um, Billy doesn't. 
<laughs> I don't think. So then we go to Dustin and Steve on the railroad tracks. I think we all know this, but on IMDb it said, the scene where Dustin and Steve are throwing meat onto the railway line is reminiscent of scenes in both Jaws and Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. Which is what they, I think they did that on it, purpose for sure. It uh, Every time I watched it, I definitely was thinking more of Stand By Me than mm-hmm. Jaws. So Dustin tells Steve that he kept Dart a secret when he shouldn't, um, which is the first person that he said that to, I believe. Yep. Oh, the reason that it's like Jaws is because of the meat, not because of the railroad tracks. Oh, okay. Uh, I haven't seen either of those movies, so I don't. I'm pretty sure that the reason it's like is reminiscent of Jaws is because of the meat, because they like chuck raw meat into the ocean to lure the shark gotcha. to the boat. Okay, duh. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's like, why did you show her a gross slug? And he said, because girls would obviously think that they like would like an interdimensional slug. Like, that's just dope. It's it's just cool no matter who you are. Yeah. I think Um, he's correct. And Steve thinks that Dustin is trying too hard and that he should just act like you just act like you don't care. Mm -hmm. Then they think that's great. Super bad advice. Maybe true with other girls, you know, but maybe like maybe true with like teenage girls, but anybody else? No. And maybe not even teenage girls. I just don't think that Steve knows what he's talking about. I mean, he doesn't. It's it's proven at the beginning of next season that he just doesn't actually have as much game as he thinks he does. Like, right. And he thinks it's because he's wearing a hat and his hair is covered. <laughs> <laughs> But I just think that he doesn't actually know what he's talking about. He doesn't. He 100% doesn't. He has no game and he never did. Yeah. I think it's, it comes down to stereotypes and like, this is a very like 80s stereotype of like how to get attention from women. Yeah. And like, it's also a very high school, like adolescent idea of how to get attention from women by like acting like you don't care and being all aloof and like hard to get. Right. Bad boy. Yeah. It's also in- incredibly toxic. Like, this kind of behavior and, like, advice permeated pop culture and then in turn permeated society. And so it kind of taught men that in order to get a woman's attention, you kind of had to treat her like crap. And that's just horrible advice. Because if, I think especially now, if a dude treats a woman like crap even once, like, we're like, okay, bye. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's not how you flirt. And I don't I don't think that's necessarily the intention that Steve is, like, giving off is to, like, treat women poorly. Mm-hmm. He's just, it's just, it's the, it's the safest version of that, which leads, it, then leads into the more toxic, like, treat women badly to get their yeah. attention. It's like the, it's the gateway. <laughs> it, uh, it is, absolutely. To is. it. And Steve, in turn... Because we talked about this while we were watching the episode. The reason Lucas and Max's relationship works is because Lucas, like, has healthy examples uh, of how to talk to women. And, like, he treats her like a person and, like, is very nice to her. Mm -hmm. Steve, in turn, doesn't know what he's talking about, has a bad father. Mm -hmm. So, like, all of his examples are also bad. And also, if I can give another example, Billy showed up and he's just watching Billy walk away with a bajillion women every single day. Yep. And, like, that's not necessarily to say that, like, a kid needs a father figure to, in order to, like, understand how to treat people correctly. Mm -hmm. It's just... Every example he has that we've canonically seen is bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't think Billy's treating those women very nicely. No. And also, I know that Steve says that Nancy is different, which is, like, not like other girls, but also, <laughs> like, like he says Nancy is different, and you can tell that he thinks Nancy is different because when we saw him, like, trying to get with Nancy in season one, he wasn't acting like he didn't care. 
No. He was oh, acting yeah. like he cared so much. Exactly. He was he, always showing up at her house and, like, pulling her into the bathroom to kiss her and, like, all these things. Like, he was just really into her in, like, a really soft way. He yeah. put in an effort. Mm-hmm. He did, yeah. Which is, like, what girls actually want. Yeah, yeah what, what, what people especially women actually want when being pursued is to be treated like a person Mm -hmm. and to have someone be interested in them and interested in the things that they care about and be genuine like the the whole nonchalance of like pretending you don't care is so fake like that it doesn't no one wants that no like yeah people like to be pursued people like to be like admired and valued yeah i think that the problem is at least you know and speaking from the perspective of a woman in 2020 Mm -hmm. if I like somebody and they act like they don't care about me. I'm just going to assume that they don't like me and I'll give up. Exactly. So. Exactly. You know, like, if they act like they don't care about me, okay, fine. Then bye. Guess I'll stop caring about you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand the concept of, like, continuing to pursue pursue somebody that's not interested in you. And if they are interested in you and they're just, like, acting like they aren't, how do you tell that from somebody who's actually not interested in you? Right. This is stupid. It's bad advice. It's very bad advice. And I don't think that the Duffer brothers wrote it to be good advice, you know? No. No, for sure not. Because you can see how badly it goes for him later when Lucas goes to the approach which, like, we like, which is, hey, let's get to know each other. Mm -hmm. And Dustin is just mean. And you can see who gets the girl. And, like, when I was watching it um, recently, I had, like, kind of forgotten a little bit about this scene. And so when Dustin was mean to her and was like, oh, why don't you just leave? Why, Why are you stupid? I was like, she's gonna leave and Steve's gonna be like, hey dude, I told you to tell her to act like you don't care, not that you actively hate her. Right. Yep. And then he's like, yep, that's it. And I was like, no! <laughs> I was like, not only is that a ba- bad, but it's also like not the advice you gave, which was already bad. Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Yeah, so he says that Nancy is different and, you know, if you act like you don't care with Nancy, she hates it. Yep. And it reminded me of last season when Steve was being a huge jerk with Tommy and Carol. She doesn't like jerks. Most women don't like jerks. Sorry. Yeah, we. Yeah. That's true. And I don't think even the women that like Billy really like Billy. You know, no, they think Billy's attractive, and they think that there are a lot of other women lusting after Billy, which is why they want to be with Billy so that they can say that they've been with Billy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's also a very toxic like way to look at relationships. Yes. Like it's just bad. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Billy cares. No. <laughs> he like Billy's just trying to get laid. Yeah. He just want he wants the numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, 100%. Yeah, and they want him specifically, you know? Mm-hmm. So then Steve talks about feeling like sexual electricity, and you know what? You lost me. I, I have no idea what you're talking about now. <laughs> no idea. Robin, are you aced by any chance? Yes, uh, and I don't know. I, I n- never don't know anything about this. You're so, valid. Yeah. So yeah, Steve's talking. Uh, do we need to talk about this with a middle schooler? I feel like no, but also Dustin is asking those questions, yeah. and I think he's genuinely interested, so it's kind of like... How do you explain it in a way that's not weird? Right. It's I, You're right. Yeah. It's better to like answer the questions than be like, you'll find out when you're older and then never tell them. You know? Exactly. Because it's like at some point someone has to be the person to answer those awkward questions that like teenagers or pre-teenagers have about these things. It's just a matter of like what age they are when you ask those questions and whether or not it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And also Dustin isn't being like, hee and when he talks about it, you know, he's being like, oh. No, he's, like, he's he learning. genuine questions. Yeah. He genuinely wants to know. He's not doing it to, like, make a joke. Yeah. And so Steve says the way that you make the move is dependent on the girl. So, I mean, that's I good mean, advice. yeah, that's very good advice. <laughs> I guess. Um, and then he brings up the ninja thing again, which, of course, was, like, you know, it's been a Steve thing since the pilot. 
Mm-hmm. Since he's like a ninja. Like a ninja. Yeah. And so he's like, are you falling in love with Max? And Dustin's like, no. And I don't think he is because he hardly knows Max. Exactly. And he says, that's good because she'll break your heart and you're too young for that. And I'm like, okay, yeah. sure. He, <laughs> how do you know she would break your heart? He just assumes heart? women hurt people. Oh, okay. I think. That's, he's some been proje- hurt. that's some projecting, I think. Yeah. But he, cause he's just been hurt, so. Yeah, I don't think he's assuming that all women hurt people. He's yeah. just, like, still very much hurt from oh, his yeah. breakup with Nancy. And with good reason. Because it's not like she just, like, broke up with him, you know? Like, she, it was very harsh. And then she disappeared. Yeah, with yeah. Jonathan. Yeah. Because Jonathan's also not around. Yeah, uh, I feel nothing but bad for Steve. Yeah. So then he starts giving him hair care tips because he still sees Dustin is upset. So he decides to... All at the ranch. To tell him a secret so that they can, you know, talk about this later. You can bond and become best friends! Yeah. Um, and it's something that he's embarrassed about, but he's willing to talk to him about it because he thinks it's important. Because Dustin also has long hair. Which we see at the end of, like, at the snowball. It's true. Yeah, Dustin is in need of, like, a father or a brother figure because, um, Mike has Ted (laughs) and Lucas has his dad. Will has Jonathan because he doesn't have, I mean, and his father figure was Lonnie, which was garbage. Um, but he has Jonathan as a brother figure. But Dustin only lives with his mom. Exactly. So he needs somebody. I mean, I didn't have many male role models growing up, and I'm I'm so cool. I, I don't know if you need both to survive. Sure. But definitely, like, if you want to learn the intricacies of something from someone of, like, the same gender, I guess, then it's important to have those role models, especially in a more binary society in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like, now, like, we've just evolved so much where it's just sort of, like, I think because we have the internet and stuff, you can get that education without needing, like, the traditional male role. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I agree. Um, I think that it was, like, it's not, not everybody needs one, but I think that Dustin really, like... Du- yeah, Dustin would definitely benefit from one. Yeah. And um, I was trying to think, like, Mike has someone in his family that he can confide in about this. You know, he can talk to Nancy if he has to. Yeah. He doesn't want to, but he can. But he, it's, it's an option. And Will has both Jonathan and Joyce. And then I was like, oh, wait, Lucas doesn't have anybody. But then in season three, he, he has Erica. So, like, kind of, I guess. Exactly. But um, but Dustin, his, his only family member is his mom. And he's trying to protect her by not telling her anything. And so his home life... He has no he outlets. Has no one he has no outlets to. other than his friends. And his friends have disappeared. So now he just has Steve. <laughs> yep. And it's really great, actually, because Steve also has a really bad family life. Yep. Yeah. And so they need each other. It's kind of really wholesome. They were always meant to be friends. Yeah. Did they ever even see each other or hang out until now? I don't think so. Wait, have they ever seen each other before? I think they might have seen each other because Steve has been dating Nancy for a whole year and Dustin is one of Mike's best friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think he definitely knows of Dustin, but I don't think they've ever, like, hung out or really talked until now. Um, Steve says that Dustin chose a good spot with the, um, junkyard because Dustin chose that because they were there last season. Yes. Mm-hmm. I um, like that they brought that back. Like, yeah. I like that they brought that, that set back. And I like the moment where Steve is like, hey, good choice, buddy, because Dustin is, like, getting, like, validation from this person he now really looks up to. He's just also, like, also wholesome. later when Max is like, he's insane, Dustin's like, he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so Lucas brings Max, and Dustin didn't know that Max was co- was gonna be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steve can automatically tell that she's the girl just by looking at Dustin's face because they've gone through something together. <laughs> And, um, so now Dustin's angry that Max is included because Lucas was the one to include her. Because it was, he and Lucas wanted to include her before, but now that it's just Lucas, he doesn't like it. Well, yeah, because 
I feel like he thinks that Lucas has been, like, scheming behind her back. Right. And Lucas brings up the fact that it's really convenient that Dustin was the one to find Dart. So Lucas already has thoughts that Dustin was the one who kind of lied to them. And he's like, you're the reason why I went in that dumpster. (laughs) And they say that they haven't heard from Mike or Will or Hopper or anybody. And why that's why we have to hang out with Steve. So Lucas tries to shake Dustin's hand to apologize because last season that was really important of apologizing to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like their little pats. It's like that's when they know that the conflict is over because they've apologized and they've shook on it. Exactly. And Dustin's going to do it, but Steve interrupts them. So they don't actually shake hands. But they they have kind of forgiven each other, I think. For sure. Mm -hmm. And Steve says, how come the only one helping me is this random girl? And that's one of my favorite quotes probably from the entire series because it's like such a high school boy thing to say. It is something that Robin has quoted multiple times over the last couple days because she loves that line so much. I love that line. It's just like Joe Keery is like in his like mid-20s at this point. You know what I mean? But he still like just captures the essence of a teenage boy so well. 100% for sure. And so this is when we kind of start getting a um, like sort of a montage of like everybody setting up for all of this stuff to like bring us into the nighttime um, with the stuff in the other storyline and this storyline. And it just has like such iconic Stranger Things music and it's great. Man, I love an adventure montage. Yes. And Steve is going to try and do a fire because that's that's what he knows worked last time. I mean, it's a good idea. Does it work? No. No. (laughs) That's the problem is that, like, he, like, douses all of the meat in gasoline to, like, bring it over to the the bus. And later when he's like, why won't they eat it? I'm like, because it's not edible. You put gasoline all over it, you (laughs) idiot. Um, there was a fun fact on IMDb that said, when Steve, Lucas, Dustin, and Max set a trap for Dart in the old junkyard, they used steel mesh and iron sheets to add protective armor to the bus. A reference to the armored bus used in the second Mad Max film. (gasps) As a gate to the petrol refinery, Mad Max is helping to defend. So that is already a reference to Max being Mad Max. I love that. that. Have I seen any of the old Mad Max films? No. I've only seen Do I love Fury Road? Yes. Yes. So then they're all hiding out, and Max is like, so you've done this before? And Steve's like, yeah, you see, I'm kind of a badass. So, um, yeah, this has definitely happened to me before. Um, I'm really cool, you see. (laughs) Max is like, are you sure it wasn't a bear? And Dustin's like, just calls her an idiot and asks her why she's even here. And I gotta say, that's not pretending that you don't care. No. Like I said. Um, But Steve seems to think, oh, good work, bud. Which, no. Um, and then we get um, Steve winking because Dustin's like, it's because I don't actually care. And Steve's like, ugh. And he's like, no, I literally don't care, Steve. Stop winking. One of my favorite Steve moments. <laughs> um, then Max and Lucas hang out up on the top and they talk about how the fog looks like the ocean and Max is from California. So that's kind of like his way in of talking to her about her past. Mm-hmm. Um, she says that her dad is still in California And I love this moment where, like, they're both children, and so she explains divorce as if Lucas doesn't know what divorce is. It's so cute. Because she doesn't know if he knows or not, because they're both kids. Exactly. Um, But he does know, not because his parents are divorced, but, you know, Will's parents and Dustin's 
parents, uh, we assume. Like, so he would know. Exactly. Um, Do we ever learn more about her dad? I can't remember. I think that later we get more, like, Billy content, like, about Billy's mom and stuff, but I don't know if we get anything else about Max's dad. Okay. But she does talk about how he's, like, not, he's not the problem. She's, like, acting, she kind of says that her mom and her stepdad are acting like her dad is the problem, but he wasn't. Okay. You know, she's like, they they said that we, we went away to get away from him. Right. Okay. As, as if he was the problem, but he right. wasn't. We never learn anything about her dad. Yeah. But that but I think this conversation makes it clear that maybe she doesn't she doesn't hate him. Maybe her dad was like genuinely concerned for her safety. Mm-hmm. And just wasn't able to get custody. Yeah. But I mean, that makes sense given what we know of... Of like, Max's stepdad exactly. and also Billy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then he, the stepdad just took them away. Now, I can't remember because I only watched season three the one time when we watched it. But is Billy's mom dead? I... It's unclear it, if she's dead or if she just left. Mm-hmm. Oh, like left, left. Like they didn't even try to... Like I think she just left them. Okay. Because I was wondering because... Now, even, and especially back in the 80s, like, um, getting custody of your children almost always went to the mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no matter what. And I think that's Max's main problem is that her custody went to her her mother. Right. And she would have rather sp- stayed with her father. And so that's why I was wondering, like, why Billy is with his dad if his mom had fought for him. But I guess she didn't. Which is heartbreaking. Yeah. And so she says that Billy has always been mean, but now he's also angry. Which is like... Do you think he was angry because they they moved? Because it sounds like he was just always going to escalate in violence, to be honest. With I you. think he's angry about a lot of things all the time. Yeah. And he doesn't have an obviously nurturing home life. Like, there's a lot of really toxic things going on there that, like, basically result in him becoming the person he is. I don't blame Billy for being angry, but I blame Billy for how he executes that anger. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Like, he just, it's not an, being abused is not an excuse to abuse others. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so then Lucas asks if Billy takes it out on her, and she says yes. So I think, is that our actual confirmation that Billy hurts her? Absolutely. We've seen her be, him be physical with her before, but we, like, she doesn't have any, like, bruises. Like, it's not very, um, visible. Yeah, or like, what's the opposite of subtle? Obvious. Obvious. Mm. <laughs> I really love this scene because then Max starts saying that she does never wants to be a jerk like Billy because she hates Billy and he's terrible. And sometimes she is a jerk because sometimes she is also angry and she's sorry. And like, oh, Sadie and Caleb do such a good job. They do a great job. And like, I, like, it's such a realistic way to healthily talk about mm-hmm. being in like relationships with abusive people because like yeah like I, I just get it from Max like you if you see someone whose behavior you recognize as toxic and like hurting you and you also recognize like an amount of like negative emotions in yourself and you can separate the fact that like you don't ever want to take them out on, like, other people the way that that person did to you yeah. is just such a, like, smart thing for her to have realized already. I wish that Billy and Max could see how much they have in common. And I know that even if they did realize this, Billy is so angry that he wouldn't want to, like, talk to Max about mm-hmm. it at all. And he just right. totally invalidate her. But they, but it's clear that they have both been through their parents' separation and they're both here with a parent, the parent that they don't want to be with. Exactly. And 
that's what makes them angry. And if they talked about it, then maybe they would have at least one person in their family that could be their confidant yep. in this. Because obviously they can't talk to their parents about it. Right. Unfortunately, not, I think they really blame each other for it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we see, obviously, there's no saving Billy's father. But, like, Max's mom, it's, like, I can't tell if she's trapped. Like, it feels like she, I mean, we'll see her in a couple episodes. But, like, if she's trapped, then do you not do everything that you possibly can to not have Max with you. Exactly. It definitely feels like she's very aware of what's going on and is fine with it. I don't know about fine with it. I don't know if she's fine with it, but like... She allows it. Well, she's incapable of doing anything about it. She's too scared to to stand up to him. Yeah. But it's like, at the same time, we don't see any of that. So like, for all we know, she is complicit in these things, which like, I wish the show would sort of give us more of a backstory on her so that we would know. I think that complicit is an is a pretty good word for it because I don't think we get like I think she like tries to pull Billy's dad off of Billy or whatever but really she kind of just has her head down and like doesn't do that much about it so like I don't know about complicit in like such a positive way that she's like yeah this is fine but complicit in a I'm not gonna do anything about it's, it they, I mean, that's exactly what I mean I mean I'm sure she's also being abused yeah right like, yes 100% he hits her too yeah oh yeah so it's just a, it's it's a really sad and scary thing and it's a really adult problem that max has to deal with now and that she doesn't really have anybody to talk about it with but yeah she apologizes for being a jerk like billy sometimes because she's also angry and it's a really mature thing to apologize for absolutely i think uh children who have been through trauma like that have more mature sensibilities Mm -hmm. oh for sure it's, it's heartbreaking in the fact that they like kind of are forced to be like that yeah um and so lucas tells her that it's okay and that she's not like him she's really cool and smart and it's lovely it's very sweet Mm -hmm. so one of the demodogs shows up and they're not taking the bait um because they've been eating cow this whole time and they want like a different like type of meat i guess or a different flavor but also steve you put gasoline all over it so (laughs) he's not taking the bait because it's not edible okay so here's my next like deep steve question okay sure why be a hero he doesn't have to impress these children no why be a hero? I think because he's an inherently good person. And I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it ever, like, occurs to him not to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and he's just, he's protective of them because they're small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, he's, he, in, in that situation, he's the grown-up. Yeah. Like, it's his responsibility to take care of the kids. It's like, he didn't set out this day to adopt <laughs> a bunch of children and protect them from uh, demonic uh, underworld dogs, but here we are, and that's just, that's just the role in life that... That's just the how life has given sometimes. him. Mm-hmm. I know we've already talked about this, so we don't have to go like super far into it. But like we've talked about um, like who Steve was in talks to be. Um, oh yeah, and how he was supposed to be like a really terrible person, basically. Yeah, and um, instead they made him this, and I'm just like I could not be more thankful. Thankful that they chose to make him this instead of what they thought about making him. He's just the epitome of non-toxic, you Mm -hmm. know? And that scene, like, throughout season one, when we got to talk about, like, back when last year we were talking about season one, we got to, I went through every episode, and I didn't see any of that from Steve. Why, if they're gonna make him a terrible, toxic rapist this season, why have him apologize? Exactly. At the end of last season. It's just such an odd choice to try and do to him. Why put Nancy and Steve back together at Christmas? 
if you're going to make him a terrible person in season two. So I am so, I'm just so thankful that they didn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's so enjoyable and likable and funny. Like, he just was never that guy. And I'm glad that they didn't try and, like, force him into that because he was never that person. Yeah. He's just a good boy. So is he protecting them or does he just like doing crazy things? I think he's protecting them. I think he also kind of likes doing daredevil-y things, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think two things can be true. I think he likes being a big damn hero, but his motivation is protect the kids. Mm Mm-hmm. So Max says he's insane and Dustin says he's awesome. I'm so glad that Dustin and Steve are together again next season. Same. Like, how how do you separate them after a season like this, you know? Right. Like, what an accidental good combo. Mm-hmm. Um, so then more than one are starting to show up and I'm honestly really impressed that he can do all of this in the dark. He's like attacking all of them and like doesn't get hurt. Right. Um, and Dustin tries to call Mike and Will again, and he also tries to call God. Unfortunately, God is unavailable to help him at this time. He's busy. And then there's one of the Demodogs on top of the bus, and Max starts screaming because this is the first time she's seen one up close. Right. Like, now do you believe them, Max? And Steve pushes her out of the way to save them again, but luckily he doesn't have to because they get called away. And Lucas and Max are holding hands, and Sam, you were saying this. Uh, It just immediately reminded me of the scene in uh, Harry Potter when... Hermione and Ron are holding hands, and then when they realize they're holding hands, they're like, oh my god, we weren't holding hands, don't look at us. In Prisoner. Yeah. That happens, like, twice, I think, in Prisoner. (laughs) But, like, it's- I think it's very sweet, and it's- it's a cute little, uh, moment between the kids. Like, I don't get into, like, shipping the kids- very much, but I think Lucas and Max are very adorable because it's so adolescent mm-hmm. and, like, healthy. And this is just another little, like, cute... It's a classic it's teenage like, romance. It's... Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, um, It's something you absolute, absolutely do when you're 13. Exactly. It's not like Eleven and Mike where it's just sort of like... That's a lot of what it is. <laughs> it's just that Eleven and Mike's relationship is so intense all the time. And I'm like, you're kids, you don't have to do this. And, and Lucas and... Max's relationship is really pure and simple. Yeah, yeah and that's like, nice. hey, we both know that we're teenagers. Sometimes we act like adults, but sometimes we act like we're teenagers. Mm-hmm. And we're both aware of it. Yeah. And then Dustin's just Harry, who's always just, like, weirdly third-wheeling. Weirdly there. Um, He's a good third wheel. And I liked that Dustin assumes that Steve, like, scared them all off. And Steve's like, no, they're they're following something. But Dustin's like, wow, Steve, you saved the all! You're the best! <laughs> I... This storyline is why this episode is my favorite episode of Stranger Things, and it's great. I think that's, your your reasoning is fantastic. Yeah. Because this is the best storyline. Yeah. Um, and so lastly, we have Jopper and Byler, but before we move on to that, Brittany, can you tell me about Patreon? Sure. Patreon is a service where you can donate monthly to your favorite creators. Tell me more! So like, okay, so like, for example, for example, if we are one of your favorite creators, you could go to patreon.com slash theaffectionados and become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. What do I get? Well, first of all, you get early access to our pods, which, like, dope. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to be by at least a day. But sometimes it's even earlier, depending on how fast Robin edits. And the bitch edits fast. Especially with this one. Mm -hmm. She truly do. And each year... We um, send out postcards for each of our anniversaries, so you'll get a postcard, and you get 10% off of Robin and I's art shop, which is shopulux.com. That's at $5, right? Yes, that's your if you're at a $5 tier, but trust me, it's worth it. 
I currently have three Stranger Things designs available. I have Steve from this episode. It's the part where he has the heckin' bat over his shoulder and he looks back at the it's end of the episode. So cool. Deeply iconic. Um, and then I also have Joyce and Hopper from um, season three. And I just made that one available. So you can check that out. For our um, postcard that we send out every November, um, this year we have finally reached one of our milestones on Patreon. So we're going to be sending extra like um, stickers and stuff this year. So you guys are definitely going to want to get in on that. Yeah, because you can get stuff. Cool. So um, now we are going to move on to Jopper and Byler and or, or the lab in general. Um, and Sam did the summary for that one. I did indeed. Will is rushed to the lab after the incident in the field. Hopper is hosed down as the doctors try desperately to figure out what's happening to Will. Joyce demands answers while Owens and the other doctors attempt to gaslight and equivocate with her. She's not taking it. They give Hopper a suit and send him into the hole to explain what they're really doing here. He sees the like massive crack in our reality that leads to the upside down. Uh, Owens explains that it's been growing beneath Hawkins and spreading like a cancer. They can't burn it because there's a complication. It's Will. As Will sleeps, Joyce explains what happened to Bob. As always, he is kind and gracious and emotionally supportive. He is Bob Newby, superhero. Will wakes up and he doesn't recognize Bob. Owens arrives to do a cognitive test and see how much Will does remember. He knows his name, but not Doc Owens. He remembers Mike after some time, but not Hopper. He tells uh, Owens that the soldiers hurt him and they upset him, talking about the shadow monster. They decide to run a test by putting a flamethrower on a sample from the Upside Down to see how it's linked to Will. Joyce and Hopper demand that they stop once Will is screaming in pain. Owens explains that to the two of them that essentially Will is a host for the shadow monster. Joyce wants to know what happens when Will can't remember anything. Hopper tries to reach Eleven on the radio, but she isn't there. He apologizes to her for fighting with her and for being gone, for everything really. He tells her that he doesn't want her to get hurt and he doesn't want to lose her. He promises he'll be home soon, but she doesn't hear any of it. We go back to the doctors and they are looking at Will's brain scans. Before, he had symptoms of PTSD that were just straightforward like any other patient with PTSD. Since last night, his brain has become inflamed by the monster and then increasing at a rapid rate. Some of the doctors are willing to risk Will's life to close the gate, but Owens isn't happy about that option. Joyce and Bob try to be patient at Will's side, but Joyce is fed up and she goes to demand answers. Will is falling further into the clutches of the shadow monster as his now memories become more clear. He tells Mike he thinks he knows how to stop him. They show Will the tunnels in the photographs and he points out a place then tells them that the monster doesn't want him to see it, so it's important. They send the soldiers back inside to the place that Will marked on the map. As they arrive in the epicenter, Owens watches as their master plan turns into a trap. Hopper says that's where he was. It was a graveyard. Demodogs descend upon the soldiers as Will trembles and apologizes in the hospital bed. He tells Joyce and Mike that the monster made him do it. Mike figures out it's a trap, but it's too late. It's a bloodbath and the soldiers inside are destroyed. Will says they need to leave now because the monsters are coming. Ooh. Okay, so first of all, um, Hopper has to get hosed down because he was in the Upside Down for such a long time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And the stuff is airborne. Like all this stuff is airborne. So can it keep hurting you if it's on you? Possibly. I feel like it yes, feels absolutely. like yes. Like it's like corrosive. Yeah. And they don't want to let any of it into the lab either. Right. They've got like where they have it. Yeah. They've got like hospital rooms that like Will is in. And so they definitely don't want any of that sort of stuff to get anywhere else. Yeah. So there are no burns on Will, but it said that it burned everywhere. Um, and the lab shows up to take pictures of the buyer's house, which of course is what Jonathan sees, um, later in the episode. (laughs) Joyce is yelling at all the doctors and they're like, well, if all of these things have happened, like, why didn't you bring Will in? Because you weren't doing anything. I have been bringing him in, you imbecile. They literally, they don't care. 
like she's been bringing him in over and over and over and like this one little thing happens to him and like every time before they haven't helped so the one promise that she can make to her kid is not to force him to go through that for nothing again exactly so like you cannot blame her for not bringing him in because you guys are useless. Constantly, all episode, she just gets ignored and, and like treated gaslit. terribly all episode. It's hard to watch. Um, on IMDb, it said, The scene where Joyce yells at the doctors about n- not knowing what's wrong with Will shares a strong similarity to a scene in The Exorcist when oh. Ellen berates doctors for not knowing what's wrong with her daughter, Regan. Or Reagan. Interesting. You've seen this movie? I have not. Not for a very long time. Ah. Um, and so she, they're like, oh, well, the symptoms are new, so we couldn't help her. And she's like, or help him. She's like, he's been telling you something is wrong this whole time. And I gotta say, like, the anniversary thing that he, like, told them about, it's a real thing. It just, like, didn't, it just wasn't the case here. Exactly. So, you know, I definitely, like, don't blame Dr. Owens because he doesn't know that everything is happening, I guess. But, yeah. But it's important to be thorough. Exactly. Exactly. And he wasn't That is his job. Yeah. Um, obviously it's not possible to send them to a real hospital hospital because they won't know what the heck is going on. So this is like the place that they have to be. Uh, so they're like, don't really know what's wrong. Um, Hopper is still puking and at least he's not puking slugs, you know? Oh, yeah, good point. Um, so they're going to let Hopper back into like, you know, the regular lab, but he has to wear a suit to go down to the upside down. Um, and so they take the elevator down to the gate and um, they talk about how the Upside Down has been spreading and they're having a hard time because they can't burn it because of Will. So we head back to where Will is and Mike is sleeping beside him just like when he was sleeping on the floor. It's so yeah. it's so wholesome. Mm-hmm. They talk about how they're going to make Bob sign all of those confidentiality documents that they had to sign at the end of season one. Um, I don't think we saw them signing the documents, but we're being told about it now. It's implied, yeah. Mm-hmm. So did Lucas go against his NDA by telling Max? Yes, I yeah, think so too. for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, he literally said the government will come after me if I tell you these things. Yeah, and um, Max never signed an NDA agreement. Exactly. So maybe mm. she can tell people. <laughs> Bob talks about how he only thought that it happened in comics, and they say that he is Bob Newby, superhero, which of course foreshadows him saving the day um, in two episodes. Yeah, but it hurts my feelings. And we noticed this first time I, like, saw that they had this, they had shadows around him, except for on his eyes there was light. Yeah. And so it was, like, it looked like a superhero mask. And then Sam pointed out that he's, like, wearing that blanket, which makes it look like a cape. So he's, like, dressed as a superhero talking about superheroes. He is a superhero! Um, he still wants them to move away together, and Joyce seems, like, pretty interested. Yeah, in at this point she's like, okay, let's go. Let's get away from this super haunted town. So so Will wakes up and he doesn't recognize Bob. Um, he remembers his own name and he remembers the fact that Owens is a doctor. But honestly, he's dressed as a doctor, so he probably could have just guessed Context that clues. So at what point is Will not Will anymore? Right. Because it feels like, or, or, and how, when does it become the mind flayer pretending to be Will? I feel like when he wakes up, he's not Will. It feels like this point is because later when he's like hmm I think I can help everybody and everything I was trying to remember if this was actually Will being like I think this will actually help people oh no the mind flayer tricked me but then later he says he made me do it so that means Will actually knew that he was putting everybody into a trap when he was telling everybody yeah everybody I, about I think it's been the mind flayer almost the entire time at least this episode yes. for sure I I don't think it's like I 
I think we're saying the same things, mm -hmm. but I feel like it's still Will, mm -hmm. because I don't think we lose Will until n the next episode where we see them. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a balancing act the whole time, because, like, they're clearly both there. It's just a matter of how much control Will has, mm -hmm. and it's, like, slowly slipping away throughout the episode. Right. Mm -hmm. And, like... When he wakes up, the mind, like the conversation with the, the like the cognitive test, that is more of the mind flayer. And then, but like the other times we see Will in this episode, I feel like it's Will, mm -hmm. especially when he's like, they made me, he made me do it, and like we just slowly lose Will more and more until he like can only communicate with the Morse code in the next uh, couple episodes. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's a balancing act of like how much of Will is still there. Yeah, I remember um, one of the moments that happens in the next few episodes that really always just, like, hurts my heart is the moment when Joyce is like, who am I? And he takes a little too long to yep. say mom. Yep. So it's like, I'm just confused because if Will is here, why doesn't he recognize Hopper? You know? Like, why doesn't he recognize... Like, Hopper, who, he, he recognizes See, Mike because he spent a lot of time with Mike, but Hopper has been there his entire life, too. Right, like, that's what I'm saying about how it's, who's in the driver's seat, kind mm -hmm. of. Yeah. Because, like, when he wakes up in that moment, the Mind Flayer is clearly in the driver's seat. Uh -huh. But then, like, Will comes, like, he, he, he comes back, and, like, he's, like, in and out of, like, who... Exactly. ...is in charge. Okay. It, it's, and like, then, amazing. So, like, he, it's like he's fighting it. And, like, getting through more in this episode. But then in the next episode, he just, like, he, he just gets overwhelmed right. with it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, he does know Mike, but it takes him a bit. And, you know, if we're saying that the Mind Flayer is in the driver's seat right now, that's probably the Mind Flayer being like, hey, help, help me, help, help. Will, can you tell me? <laughs> right. I don't know who this is. That's my fr that's my friend. He's like he's like rifling through like yeah. Will's like files. He's like, "Okay, so this kid is around my age and he's here. So either he's my brother or he's my friend, and yep. I got to take I just got to take a take a stab at it." Just mm -hmm. go through Will's little like Rolodex. I'm like, exactly. "He's my friend." And they're Still like thinking 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 Mike. And then everyone's like, "Yeah." And he's like, "All right. I guess I got I that one." It. But then but then he doesn't try and guess Hopper, though. He's literally just like, no. No. So, you know, definitely in the... I've seen a few, like, Byler ship videos. Like, mm -hmm. a, you know, they're just around. And this is a really important moment in a lot of those. Oh, that for he sure. remembers Mike over a lot of people. So I'm definitely, like, I see it. I see it. I absolutely do. But I'm not, like, actively here, you know? I'm not actively in... I'm not I'm not a Byler stan. Okay. You know what I mean? yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm not a Byler stan just because, like, eventually Mike gets on my nerves too much for okay. me to be a Byler stan. Yeah. But I do enjoy their friendship more. Mm -hmm. And I also, I think, like, Mike is very clearly straight. Yeah. And Will is not necessarily straight. Yeah. And uh, so I don't ship it mm -hmm. personally, but I support you if you do. Agreed. I definitely see it in the, this this season in particular. Yeah. But next season when Mike, first of all, gets on our nerves extra. He was already getting on my nerves early this season. He's better when he's with Will. You're on sure. thin ice, buddy. But next season when he's like just really like mean to will in general i'm just like pass yep you know it's out so he doesn't know hopper or bob and at first i was like i wish that he had recognized hopper for the jopper of it all mm -hmm. oh but i was like i kind of like the fact that they they choose to have him not recognize either of them yeah because it makes more sense 
I guess. I agree. Um, so he remembers being hurt. He says he remembers being hurt, which obviously makes Joyce really upset because you, you don't want your kids to ever remember any pain. Yeah. yeah. So or he says- be in any pain. Exactly. And um, so now the Mind Flayer is angry. We should not have hurt him. And um, so they test- like hurting part of the mind flare or part of the upside down and Will feels it. Um, and Joyce tries to stop them, but they don't listen because they don't listen to women. Yep. And Hop's the only one who can actually get them to stop because Joyce doesn't get listened to all episode. And you can tell that it's 150% because she's a mom and because she's a woman. It's literally such a bummer. It's so invalidating, like to her specifically and just watching her not get listened to and like, or be taken seriously, except by anybody but Bob and Hopper. It's so, like, easy, though. And it's so, oh, yeah. it's, like, almost subtle because you don't even think about it. I'm used to watching women not being listened to. 100%. Yeah, And sure. so, like, I don't think I really noticed until, like, the last, like, two watches that I'm like, you know who they're specifically not listening to? Joyce, the mom. Yep. And you don't notice at first because they, because they don't bring it up. But it, but it's... It's there enough, like they did it on purpose. They made, yeah. they specifically made Joyce not being ans- being listened to because I th- that's how it was. Exactly, and I think that's how also, it is. Still is sometimes. It's also super important in like in this context as well. All of those doctors are men. Yes. When she's standing there at the like boardroom table or whatever and like demanding answers, only woman. She's the only woman in that room, and none of them take her seriously. So like they don't listen to her because they think they're above her. And they listen to Hopper because they see him as a peer. Yep. And even though Will is obviously really important because he, you know, has some insider information or whatever, mm-hmm. they listen to Will more than they listen to Joyce. I'm yep. sorry. He's like 13. Yep. God, I never even noticed that they listen to Will. Mm-hmm. So then Hopper finally gets them to actually stop. And we can tell that it's not just psychosomatic because, and that it's scientific because his heart really does go off. You know, they show yeah. us, yeah, they show us the heart rate monitor. So we know that this is like actually happening. It's not just like in our, in, in his head or in our heads. Exactly. Um, so he talks about, or this is Owens. And he says that the, it is a virus causing a neurological disorder. And he says that it's not weird that it's spreading. It's weird that the hosts are interacting and communicating. So, so there was a important thought on IMDb that I wanted to bring up because as you both know, there is a virus going around Oop. right now for us. And um, the way that he explains a virus makes it sound a lot scarier than it actually is. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's rewatching it and is just like, okay, a virus spreads and kills everybody or whatever, chill out. Don't worry. They were wrong, basically. So this <laughs> I mean, is- and viruses do do that. Yeah, but but in a different way. So this is what it said on IMDb. The doctor says a virus is alive. It has an intelligence, neither of which is true. And he would know that. A virus is one of the simplest biological constructs we know of. It consists of the DNA for a few simple genes all wrapped up in a protein sheath. It has no metabolism, no organs, no cell plasma or nucleus. It cannot move by itself and it has no brain or central nervous system of even the most primitive, primitive kind. It doesn't eat or drink. It can't reproduce by itself. All it can do is infect a host cell and add its DNA to the cell's existing DNA, which then produces duplicates of the virus when the cell divides. The sickness it causes is merely the side effect of the hijacking of the cell's internal duplication system, which can be severe if it attacks critical cells. A better better real-life parallel to the life form in the show is a fungus. 
Oh, that's better. Yeah, so that makes sense. That like, doesn't freak me out as much. They're just like, a virus is alive. It has intelligence. I'm like, ah! <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think so. It's a poor metaphor. Like, it, it is... He is, like, being overtaken by by something that's, like, infecting him. Yeah. But, like, coronavirus doesn't have a brain. Right. It doesn't no. have intentions. No. It, it, it has no... It, there is no intelligence with, like, what we're experience, experiencing. It's just a virus that duplicates because it is spread. Yeah. And that's what viruses do. The Mind Flayer has intelligence and intention yeah. to spread and destroy. Mm-hmm. Like, it... It has intelligence. Yeah. So that's not what a virus is, basically. Yeah. (laughs) So then he says, but it's okay because it can be cured. How do you know that? By how? You don't have this guarantee. Like, a virus in reality can be cured. You don't know that this thing can. What science is that, sir? Like, they eventually figure out how to cure it. Really, they're just getting rid of it. But they figure out how to cure it. But they figure that out themselves. Right. You know, Owens is not helpful in that (laughs) regard. So Joyce is really worried that Will is going to forget everything. Like, everything, everything. Which makes sense. Like... That would, that would be terrifying. That? Yeah. yeah. Um, so Hopper goes and sends a Morse code message to Eleven, but she's not there. I didn't go in and figure out what the Morse code was, but if anybody um, wants to go and figure it out or um, knows where I can figure out what he says, I assume it's probably something like, you know, All sorry. Or, yeah. Sorry or something like that. But um, yeah, uh, she's not there. So he's not, she's not getting your message. And usually, you know, they just use the Morse code because... They don't want anybody to know that she's around. But this time he basically says to hell with it. And he starts actually talking to her on the thing. He's been gone for a really long time. And um, he wants her to know that she's not the reason why he's been gone. And that he's not angry. He's sorry. And he doesn't want to lose her and wants to make sure that she eats properly. That Um, one kind of hurts. Like he's just trying to take care of her still. It's like she's kind of been an afterthought right now because something so important is happening and Mm -hmm. he doesn't want her to be like stewing in the thought that he's just like left her alone and maybe ditched her forever. Precisely. Because of her. I think it's- He still loves her. Yeah. I think it's extremely important that he makes that call because like- If not, it's extremely, like, we already saw him forget about her once this season, Mm -hmm. and he's, he's learning from that and growing from that, and also, like, growing to apologize for acting like a child, personally. Like, he's the one that, like, he, he messed up. She's a kid. She's allowed to, like, lash out and have bad feelings and, Mm -hmm. like, argue with him, and he needed to be the bigger person and, like, not, like, sink into just pure raw emotion that he just let out on a child and he did and he like learned to apologize for that one I think it's like it's a very important scene yeah it's important for him to have said that and it's important for us to have heard him say it even though she doesn't hear it yeah do you think it's possible that she like did hear it through like her knowledge of the radio waves does that happen in the next episode I only I have only seen it once so I don't I can't remember. Like, I don't think it's, like, directly acknowledged that they do, but I always, like, headcanoned that maybe she heard it because she uses, like, radio signal and, like, things like that to communicate with people who are stuck in the Upside Down. I wonder if it's possible that she heard it. Yeah, maybe. Let it, if you, uh, if you have theories about this, let us know. Yeah. Uh, and Hopper's also wearing Sarah's blue, like, hair tie ponytail mm-hmm. um, on his wrist, which of course comes back as he gives it to Eleven um, later. So Will's brain activity is crazy compared to just last week. This is a scene between Owens and all the other doctors. And I assume it's because he has a bunch of minds inside his mind at once. Yeah, it's like, just like a, like, 
fireworks going off in yeah. there. Um, and the other doctors are totally okay to just, like, give up and burn the thing. Like, who cares about Will? But Sam Owens will not stand for that. He's not interested. That's how you know he actually has, like, a moral compass. Yeah. Exactly. He has a conscience and, mm-hmm. like, cares. He, do- he does care about this kid, but he also, like, has to do his job. I wonder if those doctors had spent, like, the last year examining and talking to Will if they would feel the same way. Yeah, if they had more of a personal relationship with him. Because, like, they've all, they've all been, like, working on his scans or whatever. Yeah. But Owens is the only one that's, like, built a personal relationship with them. So, yeah, I feel, I feel you. And I think that of all that we know about Owens, that even if he wasn't the doctor who was with Will, he would stand up for him in that room anyway. Like, he seems to be, like, that guy, I think. I want to say he would, Mm -hmm. but I don't know for sure. But I want to say yes. Yeah. And, like, these other guys are just like, no, this is science. Right. And he's like, no, these are people. Mm -hmm. And so he goes to think with his blue stress ball, which we've seen him with a couple of times, um, but we're, I'm still not really sure what the significance of it is. (laughs) It might just be, like, a... A stress ball. It's like a personal motif. Yeah, or even, like, an inside joke for the writers or or something like that. So Joyce is gets really impatient and the guards won't let her through. I really love the moment where the guards like look at each other before she shows up and they're like, all right, here we go. Here we go again. This again. So Will is spying for the Mind Flayer and Mike can already tell that something bad is happening with him, but Will is back in the driver's seat and he's ready to like try and stop the monster. And so they all show Will all the mo- all the pictures so that he can help. Unfortunately, he's not like entirely Will right now. And even if he is like partially Will, something like the Mind Flayer has him and is controlling him in this moment i feel like it's a it's a situation where it's like i i know there are better like examples than the one i'm thinking of right now but in the second conjuring movie the poltergeist that's like haunting the house makes the girl who is like experiencing most of the haunting fake an incident to get the people to leave mm-hmm. like by threat of like killing the rest of her family mm-hmm. and i feel like this is a similar situation in which the mind flayer is like trap them here or I'll kill your family. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and and I think that we know that Will is almost entirely himself at the end of the episode when he says, I'm sorry, he made me do it. And then he like tells them to like run and like, Oh yeah. hundred yeah, percent. That, yeah. It's like he overcame the monster. Yeah. And, or like the monster is more, it's busy. It's, it's that. And the monster is busy doing the, oh, being, yeah, the laying point, out yeah. the plan. Yeah. So this is a question for the other doctors in the room with this, you know, sickly child in a hospital gown who's helping, who's trying to help you. Mm -hmm. How can you stand in that room with him and be chill with him dying? Right. No moral compass. I don't like that. Yeah. It's very much the needs of the many sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that's one of the most toxic mentalities that like we've introduced into our society Mm -hmm. was like that one life is worth sacrificing. It's like, no. It's not. Find a better way. And so the doctors are like, you know what? We don't have time for this. Like, we should just, like, kill everything, including this child. (laughs) They literally say, like, let the kid go. And Hopper's like, hey, why don't you, um, shut up? Why don't you just eat shit? Yeah. So. I spore Hopper in this this endeavor and and most endeavors. Is Hopper a himbo? No, I think Mm. he's too smart to be a himbo. Oh, yeah, you're right. Hopper in season three is a himbo. He's really capable. Yeah, it, it just depends. I mean, some himbos are capable. Steve yeah. is a himbo. Yeah. Yeah, Steve is a, Yeah, okay, you're right. Hopper's something else. I think he just might be a good dude. Yeah. Hopper's yeah. A, just a dilf. Yeah, yeah duh. <laughs> 
So they start talking about the thing in the middle that is really important and he doesn't want me to see it. So that's why that place must be important. Mm-hmm. So they tell everybody to go there. Um, I also think it's key that Hopper doesn't realize where he's pointed out until it's on the map. Because otherwise he would have Because said otherwise something. he would have been like, hey, uh, I don't think that's what we think it is. It seems like a lot of things are being lured to this specific spot. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So um, at this time, Will knows that he's leading everybody into a trap. They, they try to send people into that specific place that he told them. Um, and on IMDb, it said, the scene where the research facility is monitoring their soldiers via radar tracking devices in the tunnels of the Upside Down is reminiscent of, and quite possibly an homage to, the scene in Aliens, where yes. the Marines enter the alien nest. Both scenes feature actor Paul Reiser watching the process through a monitor. So. Yes. Okay, so that's delivered. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So all the monsters get sent to where all the where the guys are, um, and it's the same place that Hopper was, which uh, he called the graveyard, and it turns out nothing's there, and they're like, whoa, that kid must be a huge liar. And I'm like, kinda. <laughs> I guess. He lied um, about something. And of course, this is where they're all going from, you know, when Steve, when they left, like, the junkyard. This is where right, they went. they're headed here. Um, so there was another thing on IMDb which said... When the leader of the assault team says, stay frosty boys, it is an homage to Aliens where the character of Hicks says the same thing when entering the facility with his assault team. Another quote reminiscent from Alien that can be heard is, I don't see shit, man. (laughs) In both instances, the teams are ambushed and massacred in the end. I feel like I need to rewatch Aliens, mostly for Sigourney Weaver, but also Mm -hmm. for these reasons mm-hmm. uh because so when reasons and regular reasons yeah when Brittany and i were re-watching this morning uh the sounds are very similar to jurassic park they're well. like visceral like sounds exactly like the t-rex eating a coffee or like the raptors getting that guy at the beginning of the first one. Oh yeah okay so here's something that i never considered until re-watching with you guys this morning and i have a question about this mm. so when max and lucas are up on the top of the bus and they're looking out at the fog. They're like talking specifically about the fog, right? And then when Steve is out there, there's still fog. But then once the demodogs leave, there's like not as much fog anymore. And then when the people are down here, they're just like, like fog or like smoke or something starts like filling up the thing. And they're like, I can't see anything. I can't see anything. Oh, right. Do the demodogs bring fog or smoke or something with them? I guess so. Yeah. It kind like of feels, I think movie. it leaks out of the upside down. Mm. Oh, Yeah. Because so, it's like, clear, I think it's very clear that they're, like, trying to, like, connect the demodogs with, like, the smoke or the fog. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think, I think it's a symptom of, like, more upside downiness mm-hmm. being part of it. Also, it's October, so, like, that's... Sure. It makes sense. But upside I think, downiness is great, by the way. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks, But with it also going down and being in the inside, or the upside down, I think that those are definitely a connect are connected for sure so will is down there with them like he can feel where they are like he's like watching them in his brain this all this happening poor little buddy he says that he's sorry because he was forced to lie to get them there and mike's the one who realizes first yeah because mike is smart cookie and that's when they do the thing so on our last podcast the thing is when you say the title of the episode in the episode and i think mike says it like two or three times in the yeah scene. um the spy and um he tries to warn everybody but he can't warn them because the guards won't let them through because um the guards are like hopper's allowed to freaking be in there but they won't allow a child a mom and bob who's like a soft-spoken nerd in, right right like, why like, is hop allowed to do all of these things i guess he because he they take down. him ser- they take him seriously he's masculine he, he's a cop 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's he's been, like, kind of their ally this whole time. So, like, I guess I'll, like, allow it, but I don't like that, like, they won't even let... It's because he's part of the same system they're a part of. Yeah. I'll allow he's it, but that doesn't mean I'm happy about it. Yeah. You know? And I still don't like that, like, they don't take Mike and Joy seriously when they come and, like, try and, like, warn them about mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a trap. They're all killed, and Will tells Joyce and everybody to run. Um, the monsters make their way up into the lab, and then we have a whole episode of Not This... <laughs> yeah. Once again, I do think that potentially, and we'll pay attention when we record the next two episodes, but I wonder if we had flipped the the, the next two episodes, I would have enjoyed it a lot more, I feel like. That has been our theory. Because one of the things that I had, like, kind of proposed is that at the end of episode eight, we get Eleven coming in in her, like, bitchin' outfit and, you know, walking in in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And if we hadn't seen any of that and had no idea how that happened. It would have been so cool. It would have been really cool. And plus we wouldn't have had to deal with this plot twist that then we get a whole thing of only one character that I actually really care about. And that's what bothers me about the next episode really. That's fair. Is the fact that I got this when I'm so invested in what's happening over here. So if they just gave me the payoff and the whole episode of of that beforehand, before they gave me all of her backstory, I would have been way more like accepting of it, I feel like. Mm-hmm. For me, at least. I think the I only- think you're on some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. I, w- I would like to have- I would like to, like, know how I f- would feel if I had watched it that way mm-hmm. and, like, see it differently. Right. I think the only reason that it works the way it does is because it's a show you're binging. Sure. And even then, you're gonna bother some people with, uh, mm-hmm. with- derailing people for 45 minutes because I don't want to wait 45 minutes to know what's going to happen to Will and Joyce, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's it. So now we're going to move into our segment. So my first segment is Good Guy Steve Alert. So Good Guy Steve Alert, he helps Dustin with Dart even though he hardly knows Dustin. It's true. Good Guy Steve Alert, he helps Dustin with his girl troubles. It's really nice. And <laughs> Good Guy Steve Alert, he fully puts himself in front of all of the kids to save them. He, like, tries to sacrifice himself for him. It's, he's, he's a good guy. He's, he's a good boy. Good guy, Steve. Good guy, Steve. He do be a good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and my segment is how garbagey was Jonathan in this ep out of ten? I mean, it's more that Murray was garbagey. Jonathan was actually pretty fine. Yeah. I really like this segment because every single episode, Brittany's like, I hate Jonathan. Jonathan's the worst. And then at the end of the episode, she has to be like, but well, was he garbagey? You know? Exactly. And I love that. I really love that. It's very humbling. Yeah. And it's like, there are moments in like season one, especially where we're like, yeah, Truly he was he garbagey. Was garbagey. Yes. But like now we're like, he didn't do anything wrong this time. Wait till season three. Does he do uh, anything wrong in season three? He, yeah, he invalidates Nancy at work. But That's like, true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to say like maybe two. Sure. You know? Mm-hmm. But how, how garbagey was uh, Murray? Murray. Uh, I'm going to ah, 11. Fair. I don't, but okay. I just, I just feel like he, he didn't know that they had like sex before he started talking to them about sex. You know what I mean? Like he didn't know. But he even, said, even when you know, it's also, like, why are you talking sure, to children about sex? He also encouraged two teenagers to not only underage drink, but to then stay at his house and share a bed. That's so weird. Like, sure. Just let them leave. <laughs> if it was my segment, I would probably say nine. Okay. Okay. But it's not my segment, so it doesn't matter. All right. <laughs> and my segment is, did Joyce and Hopper acknowledge their obvious history? And my answer is yes. Uh, when he puts his arm around her he, when she's talking to, do- when they're talking to the doctor. Exactly. Wow. He's, he's just so comforting and like. And he's, he's the one who gets to be there instead of Bob. Exactly. And he sticks up for her in like all of the like scenes where other people are talking over yes. here, her, over her. He's like, hey, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. I know you listen to me. So shut up. Yeah. Yep. And that's, you know what? 
That's allyship. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, like when people, when you know, like you have to use your privilege for the right things. I feel like they, other people won't listen to other people. Exactly. I feel like they regress Hopper a little bit in season three because yeah. they make him like kind of garbagey and some some tropes, especially with they Joyce. Definitely do. Uh, but like here, I'm like Hopper's a feminist. He really is. Now it's time for our best line award. My best line award goes to Steve for. Hey, dickheads. How come the only one to help me out is this random girl? I really love the way he says random girl. He goes, random girl. Your love for that? Just, I love that line so much. I know. And, and why, why is the only person helping him out this random girl? You guys, get going. It's a valid question. It's a great question. And mine goes to some random doctor and hopper for... We don't have time. Hey, to jackass. Why don't you do us a little favor and shut up, okay? <laughs> great one, bud. So good. <laughs> is it his most creative insult no but it's succinct and i appreciate it's it and it was necessary for the time yeah. exactly and mine goes to dustin for is anyone there mike will god anyone god <laughs> he's so cute i don't know was god there who's to say who's Maybe. to say thank you so much for listening to this episode our music is terminal by good news tunes please if you are so inclined write us a review on apple podcasts um you can even just do those little stars if you don't feel like writing something that's also fine um we would really appreciate it because it helps get our podcast out there it's true um if you're a fan of the hundred we like to talk about that show too we are currently well not we <laughs> i bounce but those two are covering the absolute final season of the show right now yeah, and we're going to be doing the first three seasons because we didn't do those originally. And those um, were the only good seasons. Thank you. And those are our favorite seasons, so we should be a little bit more positive. But I'm having a pretty good time talking about this season so far. If you're a fan of Riverdale, we like to talk about that show too. We did um, all four of the first seasons of Riverdale. So every single episode of Riverdale has a podcast episode from us. <laughs> um, it has also been renewed for season five and season six. So we'll definitely be covering that as well. Um, if you love um garbage just trash television in which this is not like if you're just looking for some fun and some like light-hearted trash tv i could not recommend it more yeah it's the junk food of television it, it is. is delicious it's and so garbagey yep if you're a fan of lost we like to talk about that show too we did the first two seasons of lost spoiler free until the spoiler section at the end so you can um watch along for the first time if you want and we are currently starting season three and i am thrilled because i really love season three and if you're a trekkie we like to talk about star trek we just covered the uh whole of season one of star trek picard we have a round table and we have some more stuff coming up but we don't know when we're gonna do that because life is really busy yeah. Uh, you can follow at the Aficionados on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Redbubble, YouTube, mostly Twitter, but I do post gifts of all of our favorite line awards on Tumblr. So I'd really appreciate it if you supported me over there. She needs help. Just so give her some love. They're really cute. Thanks. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash the aficionados. If you have a spare dollar, we would really appreciate it. And you get 10% off of shopbelux.com, which is our art website. If you help us out with $5 or more. Yes. But if you can't donate to us at all, first of all, going to check out Shop Deluxe, even if you don't have the 10% off, that's a way that you can help us while also getting something really cool out of it. And we would really appreciate it if you would go check that out. All the links are in the description. But um, if you, money is tight right now, which I totally get, same, you could just recommend us to a friend, any of our podcasts. We have five. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'd really appreciate that. Get uh, get it out there. Thanks. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Sam Casey's, which is S A M C A S E Y S. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Britannia, which is B R I T T A N I A with an underscore at the end, but I don't recommend it. And you can follow me personally at Robin E Jeffrey. That's R O B Y N E J E F F R E Y. Pretty much everywhere. Join us for our next episode, which comes out September twenty third, which is after my birthday, so I'll be thirty one and I'll probably have cried. <laughs> um, and it's episode two hundred seven, The Lost Sister. Great. <laughs> Robin's really excited about this one. I can tell. 
I don't, I'm like, maybe since I haven't seen it very often, maybe I'll have like extra thoughts. I don't know. I think I would probably have more thoughts if they had in any way bothered to continue with any of the uh, backstory that they introduced in this episode. Right. But since they fully didn't, I'm just like, okay. I feel like, did we see Callie like once in season three and that's it or something? Like, did we, we even don't see, see her? Callie in season three? Mm -mm, they just dropped that whole thing because so people weird. responded so badly to the episode. Well, I mean, I like it for world building, but like, I don't think it's. For me, it's not necessary to go into the other parts, yeah. uh, but I'll talk about that next week. Yeah, I I would be okay with them continuing the storyline. It's not that I hated the storyline, it's, it's that I hated that it was all the in one episode. Yeah. yeah. Okay, love you, bye! Okay, love you, bye! Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye.